Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do great work. You can find out more and give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We've got a great uh, show lined up for you today, including guest Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll continue our conversation about the question. As the Supreme Court of the United States subverted the Constitution, especially the modern Supreme Court since FDR, we'll also uh, visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. We'll look forward to his commentary on what's happening, including uh, the confirmation process of K.B. Jackson and uh, the Ukraine and more. It is March the 23rd, and on this day in 1775, during a speech before the Second Virginia Convention, Patrick Henry responded to increased oppressive British rule over the American colonies by declaring, I know not what courses others may take, but for me, give me liberty or give me death. Following the signing of the American Declaration of Independence on July the 4th, 1776, Patrick Henry was appointed governor of Virginia by the Continental Congress. The first major American opposition to British policy came in 1765 after Parliament passed the Stamp Act, a taxation measure to raise revenues for a standing British army in America. Under the banner of no taxation without representation, colonists convened the Stamp Act Congress in October 1765, to vocalize their opposition to the tax. With its enactment on November the 1st, 1765, more colonists called for a boycott of British goods and some organized attacks on custom houses and homes of tax collectors. After months of protest, Parliament voted to repeal the Stamp Act in March. More colonists quietly accepted British rule until Parliament's enactment of the Tea Act in 1773, which granted the East India Company a monopoly on the American tea trade. Viewed as another example of taxation without representation, Millen Patriots in Massachusetts organized the Boston Tea Party, which saw British tea valued at some 10,000 pounds dumped in the Boston Harbor. Parliament, outraged by the Boston Tea Party and other blatant destruction of British property, enacted the Coercive Acts, also known as the Intolerable Acts, in the following year. The Coercive Acts closed Boston to merchant shipping, established formal British rule, military rule in Massachusetts, made British officials immune to criminal prosecution in America, and required colonists to quarter British troops. The colonists subsequently called the First Continental Congress to consider a, a united American resistance to the British. With the other colonies watching intently, Massachusetts led the resistance to British uh, Britain forming a, sh a shadow revolutionary government and establishing militias to resist the increasing British military presence across the colony. In April 1775, Thomas Gage, the British governor of Massachusetts, ordered British troops to march to Concord, Massachusetts, where a Patriot arsenal was known to be located. On April the 19th, 1775, the British regulars encountered a group of American militiamen at Lexington in the first volleys of the American Revolutionary War were fired, known as the shots heard round the world. And that's how that all started. And of course, with uh, oppressive taxation uh, being a part of the... Uh, and, and can you imagine you have to quarter uh, military, British military in your homes? That was an order. That was the law. Unbelievable. Well, Florida's uh, Republican Governor Ron DeSantis has proclaimed Olympic silver medalist and Florida native Emma Wyant to be the true winner of the NCAA 500-yard freestyle championship despite being beaten by transgender swimmer, whatever transgender means, Leah Thomas last week. That means it's a guy pretending to be a girl. Wyant, who uh, came in second during the March 17th competition at the NCAA Championships held in Georgia Tech's Macaulay Aquatic Center, received hearty congratulations from Governor DeSantis during a Tuesday press conference. She earned that. We need to honor that appropriately, he said. The NCAA is basically making efforts to destroy women's athletics, he said. 
They're trying to undermine the integrity of the competition. They're crowning somebody else in women's champion, and we think that's wrong, said DeSantis. Florida is one of the handful of states that has passed laws meant to protect women's sports and barring men who identify as women from competing against natural-born females. We thought it was very important that girls and young women athletes in the state of Florida have the ability to work hard, to realize their dreams, and to compete fairly, the governor said, whether it's in swimming, in track, in field, and you name it. You're absolutely right about that. Again, the governor making great decisions uh, for us here in keeping Florida free. Can you imagine the insanity of allowing Leah to race against other women? He's a natural-born male. Yeah, I understand he's got psychological issues, whatever it might be. He wants to be a woman. But uh, what's that got to do with swimming? Absolutely nothing. Well, First Lady Jill Biden is reportedly hosting a soiree for congressional spouses at the White House, which you'd imagine would be a non-political social event for lawmakers' wives and husbands to visit the People's House and visit with the nation's highest-serving political spouse, Fun, innocent, professional, right? No, well, not in Joe Biden and Jill Biden's America. Or even traditional nonpartisan White House functions are grounds for political posturing and preening and pandemic-era shunning. Erica Donalds, our own Erica Donalds, the wife of freshman Florida Congressman Byron Donalds, a pro-Trump, staunchly conservative Republican, tweeted a screenshot of the First Lady's COVID-19 guidelines for the event, and they're even more arbitrary and discriminatory than you might expect. First Lady Jill Biden was kind enough to invite me and the other congressional spouses to reception at the White House, she tweeted. I uh, have to take a COVID test, and uh, in, as an unvaccinated person with natural immunity, I won't be allowed to eat, drink, or talk to anyone should be a blast, she, she tweeted. This, of course, is patently absurd, and it's hard not to t- feel like it's a bitter jab at the spouses of all those problematic senators and congressmen who have been criticizing the Biden administration heavy-handed vaccine mandates and mask protocols. Just six days ago, the White House announced its 2022 tour schedule and detailed no such stringent masking requirements for random members of the public to visit the First Lady's home. But uh, for Erica and other spouses whose husbands haven't been jabbed or they haven't been jabbed, uh, there's a problem. <laughs> it's uh, just incredible that this would happen, but uh, there's going to be more about this. I hope we have a chance to get to Alex Berenson's latest column on the jabs. It's quite interesting. Robert Malone is a medical doctor, and you may be aware that he was silenced by uh, uh, Fauci, and uh, he's been a very outspoken critic of the current regime in terms of uh, their vaccines and uh, their standards. Well, here's a column. Healthy children don't need COVID vaccines. Florida is right, especially for kids under 12. The risks are trivial, and most have natural antibodies. This according to a Wall Street Journal written by a column written on March the 20th. The Sunshine State is bucking the public health consensus again. The Florida Department of Health is going to be the first state to officially recommend against the COVID-19 vaccines for healthy children, the Surgeon General Lapato announced on March the 7th. Cue the outrage. The American Academy of Pediatrics called the recommendation irresponsible. The Infectious Diseases Society of America accused Dr. Lapato of putting politics over the health and safety of children. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki jabbed, It's deeply disturbing that there are politicians peddling conspiracy theories out there and casting doubt on vaccinations. Well, Dr. Lapata is doing no such thing. He's merely, and this according to, uh, again, Dr. Malone, he's merely acknowledging the abundant scientific evidence that COVID-19 poses a negligible risk to healthy children, which makes it impossible to know if the benefit of vaccination outweighs the risk. The Wall Street Journal goes on, vaccine efficacy against infection, meanwhile, turned negative during the Omicron surge a month after kids were inoculated and declined even more after six weeks. This means vaccinated children were significantly more likely to catch COVID than the unvaccinated. The public health consensus has been wrong time and time again during the pandemic when it comes to vaccinating children, especially the youngest. Dr. Lapato is right. And thank you, Dr. Malone, Robert Malone, for uh, this observation and column. It's absolutely true. And again, kudos 
to this administration, to our governor and uh, the Surgeon General here in Florida for protecting us against these absurd rules. Certainly, if people want to have their children get jabbed, they certainly can. But uh, his recommendation doesn't make sense. The the risk-reward benefits don't add up. And uh, if it were him, I'm sure he wouldn't have jabbed his own kids. Well, Republicans on Capitol Hill are expressing frustration with Senate Democrats and alleging the key document rela- documents related to the confirmation process of Judge Kajani Kantaji uh, Kanta- <laughs> Brown Jackson. I haven't said that out loud yet, so I'm happy I had a chance here. Uh, have not been shared with them. Republicans are expressing outrage over how long Democrats have been in possession of sealed documents related to Jackson's record and have alleged that key documents have not been shared with them in a timely manner. This is just wrong. Uh, They should be able to get the uh, documents they request, and uh, it's obstruction of justice when the uh, Democrats won't cooperate with this. They should just stop the hearings and say, we'll we'll start the hearings again when, when we get the documents. But Supreme Court nominee Kataji Brown-Jackson said she's unable to define what a woman is. Then during the waning hours of her confirmation hearing Tuesday, Jackson was uh, asked by Senator Marsha Blackburn to uh, provide a definition of the word woman. Can I provide a definition, Jackson said? No, I can't. You can't, she asked. No, not in this context. I'm not a biologist. So you can see the defensive, defensive posturing that the uh, uh, candidate for uh, justice of the Supreme Court is taking. During previous questioning from Senator John Kennedy, Jackson also claimed she doesn't know what life, when life begins or the rights guaranteed by the U.S. Constitution when they become appropriate and applicable to a person. Senator Josh Hawley had the most... Uh, so interesting. I watched that yesterday. He questioned President Biden's Supreme Court nominee uh, on Tuesday over her sentencing for child pornography offenders that have uh, argued were too lenient, referencing a case in which she sentenced an 18-year-old to only three months in federal prison on uh, child pornography charges that Jackson conceded were heinous and egregious. Holly pinpointed elements of her ruling that made him question who she thought the victim was in this case. You've also said to this individual who was an adult, tried as an adult, 18 years old, that you said to him, besides saying that you thought his victims were his peers, you also said there's no reason to think that you're a pedophile. Holly further said that he needed help understanding Jackson's point of view when she wrote, This is truly a difficult situation. I appreciate your families in the audience. I feel so sorry for them and for you for the anguish this has caused all of you. I feel terrible about the collateral consequences of this conviction. And you go on to say that sex offenders are truly shunned in our society, Holly went on. I'm just trying to figure out, Judge, is he the victim here or are the victims the victims? It's a great question. Dick Durbin, who's the chairman of the committee, said these are unfair attacks. Hey, he was very respectful of the candidate of Jackson. And uh, Dick Durbin, out of line by suggesting these are unfair attacks. These are reasonable questions to be asking potentially the next uh, justice of the Supreme Court. The segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website 
at lulubees.com and stop by Lulubees Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulubees Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulubees Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252 252- 4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform, and you can find out more. And download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us. Coming up, I'm going to visit with Professor Andrew Joppa. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. Bob is an author. Uh, He's also a constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C. and devoted to private property, free markets, Protection of Individual Liberty and Limited Government, C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Cato.org. Thank you, Bob. So uh, for the last few weeks, we've been talking about uh, raising the question about whether this the modern Supreme Court has subverted the Constitution. And we see this large government, uh, certainly not what the framers had in mind when they uh, wrote the Constitution. I want to pick up on campaign finance reform. Can you give us some background on the Citizens United case and how did it come about? Yeah, the campaign finance reformers had this uh, quixotic idea that money and elections should not mix. So they they passed the McCain-Feingold Act in uh, 2002. And, you know, we know how well that worked out because six years later in the 2008 election, more money was spent uh, than in any election in the history of the universe. And it's gone on from there. Mm-hmm. Um, so McCain-Feingold ultimately became known as BICRA, B-C-R-A, the Bipartisan Campaign Reform Act. And the Supreme Court, I think, inexplicably upheld uh, that act in a case called McConnell versus FEC, McConnell being Mitch McConnell, from the senator from uh, Kentucky. And in that decision, political expression received less First Amendment protection, then Klan speech, pornography, flag burning, each of those is constitutionally protected. But, said the court, if a corporation, like let's say Random House, published a book and it had the words vote for Obama or vote for Trump or vote <clears throat> vote for Biden anywhere in the text or vote against, uh, the entire book could be banned. So, you know, we're not supposed to be about banning books in uh, America, and that's why the court luckily uh, took on a follow-up case, and the follow-up case was uh, Citizens United versus the Federal Election Commission. So uh, what did Citizens United say that was uh, so controversial? Well, the court, uh, this was back in 2010, in a 5-4 opinion by Kennedy, overturned McCain-Feingold's two worst uh, provisions on corporate and union political expression. The first one was that no publication can expressly say vote for or against an identified candidate. 
it's quite extraordinary, yeah. given the First Amendment. And the second said, no broadcast ad can even name a candidate. You don't have to say vote for or vote against. You can't even name a candidate within 60 days of a general election hmm. or 30 days of a primary. So Citizens United was about something called Hillary, the movie, which was critical of Hillary Clinton. Yeah. So it, it was okay to show the movie in theaters or sell it on DVDs, but you couldn't have any TV ad saying that the movie was available to be sold or available to be seen, and no on-demand cable viewing. Now, this was really ridiculous, and I think Kennedy understood that, and he correctly recognized that you know, corporations and unions, they don't speak with one voice. They're not all on one side of an issue. Corporations often favor policies that unions oppose. You have Walmart favoring the Obamacare reform, and Whole Foods said it was horrible. Uh, individuals should to associate and pool their resources to express themselves as they wish, whether they do it individually or through a union or a corporation or a partnership or even a club. But under these um, new rules now, thanks to, um, thanks to the Citizens United case, uh, corporations and unions, they still can't contribute directly to candidates. That's still prohibited. But they can independently pay for an ad as long as the ad's not coordinated with the candidate or with the candidate's party. And that ad can be broadcast without restriction. That's a good thing. And for that, we can thank Citizens United. Well, there's so much going on in terms of campaign finance. But if, if the issues are so clear, then why did it take the Supreme Court eight years to revisit McCain-Feingold? Well, you know, I think the court was either unable or unwilling to grasp a pretty fundamental notion, and that is that politics is essentially a bargain between the candidates and the voters. So when a candidate promises to pursue an agenda that the voter favors, it shouldn't matter constitutionally whether the voters return promises, look, I'll vote for you, or look, I'll convince my friends to vote for you, or I'll write letters to the editor in support of you, or I'll pay for an ad that supports you, or even I'll donate money to you so you can pay for the ad yourself. Mm -hmm. And it really shouldn't matter if the candidate's end of the bargain includes a commitment to meet with the voter, to listen to his views, or to put it crassly, to give the voter access and influence. Each of those things has the same end, and that is getting the candidate elected and each of those things operates through the same means, which is political speech. And the exchange of speech <clears throat> for promises by the candidate if he's elected, that's not corruption. That's the way democracy works. That's the way it's supposed to work. I will say that sometimes people make promises when, before they're elected and then don't keep the promises, but I guess that has to be solved at the next election. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the ballot box is a good solution for that. Yeah, so are there any campaign contributions or expenditures that should be illegal? Sure. If, if you misuse your office, like you favor a donor, for example, who's seeking a government contract, uh, that uh, breaches your fiduciary responsibility to your constituents. And second... If there's a payoff to a candidate, you know, secretly contributed and then spent on personal pleasures, uh, like, a, you know, a, a new car or a trip to Bermuda or whatever. So, but when a candidate fully discloses a donation and puts the money in a segregated fund, which is what's required under the law, that can be used only for constitutionally favored political expression, that is not corruption. And the First Amendment is not a loophole. It does not allow treating advocacy like it was a bribe. And that's what the court did in the first case, McConnell, and fortunately corrected it in the Citizens United case. So some people say that the First Amendment relates to speech, not to the expenditure of money. Is money the same as speech? No, money's not speech. But, it, you know, it, if the expenditure... It's for the exclusive purpose of generating speech. It's so entwined with the speech mm -hmm. that it should be protected to the same extent as the speech is protected. Exercising the right to speak always costs money, especially if the speaker intends to reach a large audience. So the right to speak 
necessarily has to include the right to pay for the speech, just as you know you have a right to counsel, and that includes the right to hire a lawyer, and the right to free exercise of religion includes the right to contribute to, to the church that you choose. Uh, in each of those cases, the expenditure of money is protected, not because money is speech or money is a lawyer or money is religion, but rather because spending the money is part of the exercise of the right to speak, the right to have legal counsel, or the right to exercise uh, religious freedom. And if you have government limits on spending for speech, that necessarily restricts the freedom of speech itself. So interesting, Bob. I really appreciate you making these issues so clear. Bob Levy, again, chairman of the Cato Institute, C-A-T-O dot org is the website. Bob, really appreciate your commentary on this. Let's pick it up uh, next week. Thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Good to be with you. You as well. Thank you, Bob. All right, coming up, Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz, that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer with chronic pain and discomfort? After back surgery, I had painful tendons and muscles and difficulty standing upright. On a referral, I visited Dr. Alec at I Am Designed to Heal, Naples Only Vitality and Longevity Practice, where acupuncture, medical massage, energy healing, and integrative holistic medicine are harmonized to create a -a one-of-a-kind restorative experience. After only two visits, my pain began to dissipate and I could stand and walk more upright. It was amazing. I plan to continue my treatments to enhance my sense of well-being. Don't suffer needlessly with discomfort and pain. Improve your quality of life. See for yourself and make an appointment by visiting the website IamDesignedToHeal.com. That's IamDesignedToHeal.com. Or you can call or text Dr. Alec at 239-322-3817. That's 322-3817. Visit IamDesignedToHeal.com for an amazing, one-of-a-kind, restorative experience. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, building a performing arts center in downtown Naples. It can be absolutely beautiful. And also currently providing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can find out more and get tickets. Visit the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. I've been looking forward to our conversation today, and uh, I thought we'd start off with the confirmation process of uh, Supreme Court Justice Candidate K.B. Jackson. What are your thoughts? Well, I'm going to talk a lot about that. First, a little bit of good news. Um, Ron DeSantis, who is is my personal hero, uh, functioning as the governor of the free state of Florida, has declared that uh, Emma Wyant is the real winner of the 500-yard freestyle event. Uh, The original first-place award went to Leah, William Thomas. Uh, But DeSantis said this was just uh, unfair, totally inappropriate. And so he has declared Florida resident Emma Wyan to be the winner of the 500-yard freestyle. I think that DeSantis continues to be the... um, uh, the philosophic leader in many of these issues as it pertains to the eccentricities of the uh, of the left at this point, Bob. You know, I couldn't agree more. I'm so pleased the governor's speaking out on that. I mean, in, in the scheme of things, I'm th- sure he's got a lot on his plate, but he decided he wanted to make a point about that. 
and I'm grateful he did. And I, for, we definitely have to overturn this. There are two sexes. There's males and females. <laughs> we, Leah, you know, wants to be a woman. I get all that, and he, she, he certainly has a right to do that, or she does. He does, and uh, but it's she, he, she should not be competing in uh, women's Well, I mean, I, I've got two. I've got two young granddaughters. They're both involved with athletics, and uh, if this type of approach continues to expand, and uh, right now, uh, something like seventy percent of Gen Zers have positioned themselves into areas of uh, sexual misidentity. So I'm guessing that this whole process of men identifying themselves as women will uh, increase. And, and that's going to be uh, intrusive for, uh, for my granddaughters and for anyone's young children, young girl children, uh, as they uh, want to compete in athletics or, or in life in general. So uh, this is uh, not, a, not a little issue. It's not just one issue that uh, seems to have uh, immediate notoriety. I think it's a critical issue in terms of the, the culture and, and how this culture moves forward, Bob. I would agree with that, Andy. Yeah, uh, what, what if somebody decided they wanted to identify as God? As what? As God. Well, I've already done that. Well, yeah. That's, uh, that's not a hypothetical. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not even close to God. Well, I'm, 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 on, the, I'm on the right-hand side. Of yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, absolutely. So, Andy, uh, yeah, moving now to, uh, to the confirmation process, uh, I would really appreciate your thoughts on, on uh, Katanji Brown-Jackson. Well, I think like many who watched the hearings, and I did, I, I found her to be a pleasant personality. I, I found her to be agreeable in terms of how she conducted herself. Those things don't matter, but I think they have some at least marginal significance in terms of trying to evaluate a totally unknown person. Uh, I think because of the way she was nominated, and quite obviously this is not to disparage her, but she was nominated to a large extent because she's an African-American woman. There's, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But when that was the, the limited uh, group that was being uh, selected from, I think it, it provokes more demanding questions rather than less demanding questions. Uh, so right now the left is uh, screaming that the Republicans are, are, are racist. They're using unfair uh, tactics in terms of the questioning process. But again, if we just go back to, uh, to, to Kavanaugh and to uh, Amy Coney Barrett, we can look at the questioning process these two uh, uh, people went through during their confirmation. Uh, and the questioning was infinitely more severe, I would, I would call it, than what uh, uh, Katanji Brown Jackson is going through. Uh, so I, I think that the left is absurd in how they're they're pushing back against very legitimate questioning. Yesterday, the, the question was brought up as to her performance on the LSATs. And uh, certainly with limited knowledge of a person, uh, anything you can bring to bear to assess them is worth talking about. But they would not allow that information to be brought into the discussion. Now, the LSAT is not just a, uh, a an information test. It essentially judges uh, the the logical the logic capability of people going into law school programs. So it has significance. Mm -hmm. It's not a knockout factor or a supportive factor in itself, but it does have meaning. So we're seeing pushback against even very legitimate questions. So uh, moving past that, let me just talk about the three areas that the uh, the uh, this staff, the Republicans are are using to try to challenge her nomination. And let me make the point that I think she will be confirmed. Uh, I think that uh, any Biden nominee is going to be a progressive. I think they will be in the mold of a uh, of a sort of my ear or a Kagan to a to a large extent. I think they will vote uh, leftist party line. Uh, so I don't think that uh, it really matters. Uh, in terms of whether we're going to get a, uh, a, a far right winger as compared to a Katanji Brown Jackson, we're not going to get that. So we have to look at her uh, as compared to other potential leftist nominees. And I think by that standard, Bob, I think she probably, in my estimation, ranks fairly well in terms of what we might get as compared to what she offers. The Republicans are focusing on three, uh, three specific areas. Areas. One is on the area of, of racial activism, primarily built around the area of critical race theory. Now, there isn't a lot to document her activism in that area. Uh, she does have some some radical black activism at Harvard uh, back in the mid in the mid or early 90s. Yes, that was there. But most of her um, 
the challenges to are in this area are by association. Uh, the black authors and the black professors that she has aligned herself with rather than things that she has actually done herself. Right. So here's the position I would take. She has shown a degree of black activism, uh, but most of it that's being cited in the confirmation process is more um, by association with other black radicals. So that that would be my comment in that area. Nothing significant has been brought out about uh, serious black activism. Uh, if we look at the other area where she's been referred to as a an anti-constitutionalist, there's nothing that I heard or read for that matter, Bob, that would document that she's an anti-constitutionalist. Uh, in the appellate court, there was nothing that came up that would have uh, documented her either way in terms of whether she sees the Constitution as a living document or she's an originalist. But if we go with what she said yesterday, she made very strong statements that she is essentially an originalist, that she would adhere to the original words of the Constitution as she renders her decisions. Uh, now, those words can be cheap. Certainly, there's no there's no surety that those words will be put into action if she's on the court. Uh, but again, she took strong positions in support of an originalist interpretation process. Do those two things, uh, I think, of, uh, are the only areas where I think she's really vulnerable. However, where the Republicans went with the majority of their challenges had to deal with her sentencing guidelines or, or sentencing process in terms of child pornography. That is where they spent their time. So let me talk. Let me talk a little bit about that. I know some things about that that your audience, I don't believe, does know. So let me just start out with the first of all, in terms of the federal sentencing guidelines, the area where there's most deviation from the federal sentencing guidelines is in the area of child pornography. So the fact that uh, uh, Jackson de uh, deviated is in fact makes her within the norm mm -hmm. as it as it uh, pertains to the uh, to the sentences offered in child pornography. Uh, in fact, many of her sentences have been have exceeded uh, the federal the federal guidelines. Perhaps the most significant lament about uh, Jackson can be found in the area where she seems to reject the very concept of federal sentencing guidelines. So it's not in child pornography that the major problem exists because she is within the norm in that area. Mm -hmm. It's in the general rejection of sentencing guidelines. Now, for your audience's edification, because I don't think they're aware of this, one of the points that Jackson made, and I don't think she made it clearly enough for your audience or any audience to understand, if we look at the federal sentencing guidelines as it pertains to child pornography, they came out and have been in place far before uh, a type of software called P2P, peer-to-peer, peer-to-peer software. Now, <clears throat> most of the people convicted for child pornography uh, are, are, are convicted in the area of distribution. Now, peer-to-peer -peer, uh, software allows anyone from the outside to enter a person's computer and take whatever they have in their in their database without their awareness. Let me just be clear about this. What I'm saying is someone who has already downloaded pornography, child pornography, and that's a horrible thing, no doubt about it, but that, that child pornography can be transferred without their knowledge hmm. to someone else, and they are then charged with distribution. Hmm. They have not, they've had no awareness of it. They had no involvement with it per se. This, I'm not trying to diminish the basic issue of child pornography. Oh, well, just, just some clarification, uh, Andy. Uh, just, just some clarification. This peer-to-peer uh, -peer software, do, does it require permission? In other words, do you have to allow somebody to do that, or is this a form no. of worm? Is that's, this... that's the point, Bob. Uh, it's been well documented that the peer-to-peer the -peer process does not require any active involvement uh, of the person who's... Um, a computer is being uh, tapped into. Huh. It, it can be done without their knowledge. And this has been brought up at many of the court cases. It's a, uh, it's a widely established concept and an awareness. So when we're talking about Katanji Brown Jackson and some of the uh, extendable, extended cir circumstances pertaining to this, uh, she's dealing with things like that, Bob. So again, no one would ever of sound mind would try to defend the basic issue of, of child pornography. On the other hand, most of the sentencing takes place because of distribution as a result of peer-to-peer -peer, 
uh, distribution without the person's awareness, Bob. I wasn't aware of that. I really appreciate the clarification on that issue. It doesn't necessarily uh, absolve uh, these people who have this, <laughs> this information on their computers, but irrespective, I mean, I, it certainly uh, creates an additional piece of information I certainly wasn't aware of. So thank you for that, Andy. Hey, I, I well, want to give you a specific, let me give you a specific example before we move on, Bob. I have a friend who's a public defender, and he talked about one of his uh, one of his uh, clients, uh, and the person had an enormous amount of child pornography on their computer. Uh, but what he was eventually sentenced for was distribution, uh, three counts, four years, <clears throat> 12 years in total, uh, on, on a peer-to-peer process. Uh, the public defender in the, in the trial process uh, uh, made the case that he had no awareness of it. But again, there's such an intense reaction to child pornography right. that that defense was totally ignored. So he was sentenced to 12 years, Bob, for a circumstance of distribution that was totally something beyond his control and outside of his awareness, Bob. Well, thank you for that, Andy. I want to talk to you about what's happening in Ukraine. Uh, Time to just take a little bit of a break. Can you stick around? I I will certainly be. All right. I'm going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Lyndon and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate courtyard garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean dining room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. Creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting thefga.org, thefga.org. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josepha Savaz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be back with you, Bob. Thank you, Andy. So uh, the, the Ukraine, now we're extending into, what, getting into the fourth week here of what's happened. Uh, and uh, in the fog of war, I just would appreciate your comments and thoughts on uh, what's transpired at this point. Well, I think it's far beyond the fog of war. I think at this point, it's almost impossible to trust any statement right. coming out of, of any source. Certainly our government, the Zelensky government, certainly the Putin government. Uh, it's all been propagandized. It's uh, it's typically what happens in a war circumstance, except the United States is not at war. Right. Uh, unfortunately, I believe, unfortunately, we are handling this as if we are at war. 
Uh, a case can be made that what's happening in Ukraine, and let, let me just, let me interrupt myself. Uh, there's nothing that I'm going to say that is in any way soft on Putin or uh, f- suggesting that Putin is, is not fighting a, an inhumane war. But I, but I think we have to recognize that this war is, 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 is uh, destroying the infrastructure of Ukraine, yep. uh, is killing, uh, I don't know how many civilians who are apparently at this point armed, and no one seems to care essentially about the level of death in Ukraine as it as it goes on. The, the West, who has uh, nothing physically uh, at stake at this point, uh, is more than willing to supply them um, uh, essentially defensive weapons, uh, but they're, they're, there's nothing on the line for them. So they can encourage uh, Ukrainians to fight all day long uh, at their expense. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think the, the end result uh, as it, it will be achieved in some way by Putin, uh, that his end needs will be uh, taken. Now, I don't think those end needs include the full takeover of Ukraine. I think that's impossible for, for Russia to uh, to totally control a nation the size of, of Ukraine. But I do think that he will, by the time the day is over, he will control the eastern provinces, he will have a land bridge to Crimea, uh, and he will, in fact, have a guarantee, an absolute constitutional guarantee uh, from the Zelensky government that they will not join uh, NATO and perhaps the European Union. Yeah. I think those those are the the end results that I think will be achieved at the the end of the day and that can be achieved tomorrow. And I think that has to be uh, a, a process that uh, that Zelensky moves towards. I hope he I hope he is. Um, as far as I can tell, he's been called the Winston Churchill of, U- of the Ukraine. He's been been called the George Washington. I, I see him more as the Napoleon of, of Ukraine, uh, a rampant egotist who is willing to sacrifice his people uh, for, for, for no purpose. That's exactly what Napoleon did as he moved 600,000 troops in against Russia and left with 500 with 50,000 troops. Yeah. So I think that's the same kind of end result process. And uh, there has to be a greater compassion displayed by everyone for the Ukrainian people. That includes Zelensky, Putin, and of course, the United States government. Well said, Andy. You know, in my view, uh, if there were real leadership, someone would step in. I mean, the, right now, Putin has uh, chosen Erdogan from Turkey. But if there was real leadership, someone would step in and negotiate and arbitrate some sort of a, an agreement that would end this, uh, the suffering and the uh, and the murder of all these people here in in Ukraine. If my personal belief, if it were Trump, it would have been done by now. In other words, uh, Trump would have either him personally or he would have had an emissary who would have had this thing resolved and uh, this would would have stopped. Well, I think you're right about that. And I think there's a, an earlier point where I think it never would have happened, Bob. Right. So, you know, we, we can uh, we can make these hypothetical points. And um, uh, but, you know, I think there's there's good reason to believe that uh, if, if Trump had had uh, been given his legitimate election result in uh, in 2020, I think this this never would have happened. Uh, if we look at what the West is doing, they keep uh, poking the Russian bear. They keep poking Putin. They, they talk about assassination. They talk about removing him from power. They talk about uh, defining the, 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 the him as a war criminal. I, I see very little that is happening that is doing anything else other than uh, stoking the fears of, of a, an existing paranoid. And that certainly is, is what Putin is. The Russian leadership for a thousand years has been has been paranoid uh, with in some cases with good reason fear of their neighbors they've been invaded multiple times and right now you can see the Russian the Russian people the Russian government Putin specifically are being prodded uh, being called the most dilatorious uh, uh, of names and, uh, and, and and addressed in the most dilatorious of ways uh, right now in terms of what's happening in America there's the uh, civil forfeiture that's been imposed on uh, many of the uh, assets of Russian oligarchs, without any legal action or without any uh, any precedent that or definition of even having committed a crime. Mm-hmm. So we're acting as if we're at war, and yet, and yet, certainly, Bob, we we are not at war. I have a fear. It's certainly a fear that most people hold that understand this this situation that a a spark at the wrong time can set us off in directions that no one. 
no one is going to uh, to uh, to be able to live through. I heard the other day where some American general was saying we should use our own cyber warfare to disable the the Russian military force. Yeah. That is a direct attack by America on Russia. And those things which sound relatively benign in terms of how they're they're offered a cyber attack on Russian uh, Russian military, uh, yet it is the same as a physical military assault on Russia. And so these type of, of positionings, the, uh, the the push by Zelensky for a, a, a no-fly zone, the support it's getting consistently from the West, particularly in America, to establish that no-fly zone, all of them set up very, very dangerous potentials. Yeah, I, I'd like to add uh, to your comment, which is excellent, uh, Andy, but I, I'd like to add uh, these thoughts. Is uh, First of all, there's no question, as you say, stated, uh, right now, Putin is a war criminal, and what he's doing should be, uh, he should be held accountable in a, in a court of law, in an international court of law, for invading a country. Uh, he's basically uh, made an attack on the people of Ukraine. That said, something doesn't add up. Zelensky, I know he's me being uh, made out as a as a hero, as a Churchill type. You know, the fact of the matter is that he was installed in part by George Soros and in part by a Russian oligarch. Uh, you know, I don't understand, I don't truly believe and understand what his motivation is and what he's doing, why he's doing what he's doing. I think there's something, something just doesn't add up. There's something uh, I, rotten in the I state of Denmark, I, to I, quote I Shakespeare. Agree. I'm sorry, Bob. No, sorry. something rotten in the state of Denmark, just to quote Shakespeare. <laughs> I, I, look, I, I, I totally agree. And we can see right now that uh, Zelensky has essentially closed down the 11 opposition political parties. Uh, and that is certainly no way to unify a country. Uh, he's uh, put significant restrictions on the press. There's only one press outlet right now in Ukraine, uh, and that is the, the government outlet. And it can be well documented that the Azov Battalion, that is the far right-wing extremist neo-Nazi battalion, has been fully integrated right. into the Ukraine military and is part of the Ukraine government. Uh, when, when Putin made one of his laments that he wanted to go in and denazify uh, Ukraine, that was met with, uh, with total rejection, and yet it can be well documented. There is a high element of Nazi, neo-Nazi influence in the Zelensky government and in the and in the Ukraine military. Absolutely, I mean, the, a very powerful military or a political force there. Uh, I don't know how many uh, neo-Nazis there are or actual Nazis uh, in. Uh, in the Ukraine, but irrespective, I mean, they're being represented by a strong political force and their voice is being heard. And I would suggest also their force is being heard. I've heard some rumors, and I'll call them rumors, that in fact the uh, Nazis are bombing their own people uh, in Ukraine in order to uh, cast dispersions and uh, uh, on, the, uh, on the Russians. So, I mean, there's even that element that could be considered. There are several moments of that that have been pretty well documented. Again, we always have to uh, um, weigh this as the uh, the propaganda of war. But again, there's there's enough of that documented to, in fact, suggest that the Azov uh, Battalion and those members of that battalion have, in fact, uh, and I'm I'm going to make this statement because I believe I've read and seen it documented to my satisfaction. They have been bombing their own facilities, uh, Ukraine facilities, and in fact in the author of the death of Ukraine civilians. And that's a that's an extreme statement I'm making. But for my satisfaction, that has been documented. So we have to be very careful with biolabs right now. Uh, it would not be beyond the possibility of a an Azov based release of chemical weaponry to blame it on Putin right. to try to force the West into direct confrontation uh, with Putin's Russia. Yeah, there's no question of that. Those are all risks right now, the risk of nu nuclear war. We've got so many risks on the table right now. The best solution is peace, some sort of negotiated peace. And somebody, need, if we had leadership right now, somebody to step in and negotiate this, uh, Zelensky needs to, he needs some reins. We, we need to pull him in. Uh, someone needs to, and, and, and get him to the negotiating table uh, so that this whole thing can be ended and we could stop the murder of all these people. Yeah, I think it may it may have gone too far. Plus, there's a, a view that uh, what Putin was doing was trying to sever himself uh, from the West. He 
Uh, he saw the West as, as being in a state of decline. He saw it as being in a state of, uh, of moral debauchery. That's his position. Uh, and he did not want to be part of the West. So I think what we're seeing right now, and that, this can be documented certainly, is Putin looking eastward uh, for an alignment with China. Mm-hmm. In Samuel Huntington's Clash of Civilizations, uh, he called Russia the Orthodox. In other words, it is the, the focus point of Orthodox Christianity. When people talk about their fighting for their Christian brothers in Ukraine, understand that Putin sees himself as defending the Orthodox faith of Christianity coming out of Moscow. And so as, as Putin looks eastward to align himself with, with China, that may eventually include uh, India. And you're looking at, at that point at half of the world's population and a tremendous level of harnessed intellect uh, that would be available to that what I would call the Eastern Bloc. And many people suggest, and I might even be one of them, Bob, that suggests that is the destination that Putin really desires, a severance from the West, moving into an Eastern Bloc arrangement with China, at least, perhaps even including uh, India. And if we look at the way uh, the Sauds and uh, United Arab Emirates have been reacting to America, it might even include the the movement of many of the oil-rich nations of the Arab world into alignment with Russia and China. I, I hate to uh, see that because that would just totally uh, throw the world into energy uh, and uh, cu- currency reserve imbalance, Bob. Uh, it's uh, well stated. I've, I've heard a different theory, one that, that the autocratic nations would be uh, in alignment against or uh, and the other and the uh, more Democrat or Republic type uh, nations would be in, in some sort of alignment that would make India maybe a swing nation. Well, I don't know where they where that would be aligned, but nevertheless, Things are realigning right now and not necessarily to the advantage of the United States. Ultimately, as we look at the amount of our raw goods that come out of China, the uh, the degree of unfinished product that is necessary for our finished products that come out of China, there's no doubt that uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, a China shutdown to its exports. And certainly that would have significant damage economically to, to China, but it could destroy America, Bob. Absolutely. Andy, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here in the show. I want to really thank you for coming on the show and making some of these issues and, and bringing up some of the things that most people haven't thought about, including me. So thank you so much for joining <laughs> us. Thank you for that, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. School Choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America and is now supported by three out of four voters. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior schools of choice. Optima's goal is the successful launch of Hillsdale College, classical academies, and other schools of excellence serving kindergarten through 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. A terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy opened this fall in a classical virtual school. Optima Classical Academy will open in 2022. Find out more by visiting OptimaEd.org. Help children in Florida optimize their education opportunities. Visit www.OptimaEd.org. 
back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. To remind you about the Older and Wiser series, the continuing education series brought to you by Hodges Funeral Home, Bernadette LaPaglia, a good friend of the show, uh, is hosting tomorrow, Thursday, the March 24th, uh, uh, Your Legacy and Your Life at 2.30 p.m. I encourage you to go uh, to visit uh, or send an email to marketingdirector at naplesgreenvillage.com or you can call 307-0366 to uh, find out more. It's naplesgreenvillage.com is also the uh, website. That's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We have great guests lined up for tomorrow. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. Tell your friends about the show if you enjoy it. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>